Our epistle reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angels standing in his house and saying, "'Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter.'" He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. The word of the Lord. Our gospel reading is from the book of John, chapter 13, 31 through 35. Now when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. But I have given you a new commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one, of the, for one another. The word of the Lord. I grew up in a neighborhood that had a lot of children in it. Um, there, was a, there was a strong group of girls that would play together about, I don't know, maybe there were eight of us or so, and, and we decided that we needed to form a club for the girls in the neighborhood, and we had our own secret handshake, and we had our own little gathering spot that we thought was hidden. It really probably wasn't very hidden at all, but we thought it was our little 
our spot. And of course, the number one rule of our club was that no boys were allowed. Um, and, you know, most of the time the boys didn't want anything to do with us, but we thought they might, and so we needed to protect ourselves from that nonsense. And so we, we set pretty strict rules about the boys. Of course, as we got a few years older, the boys were kind of okay. Uh, we had different rules, you know. When you get to, by the time you get to junior high and high school, there's a whole different set of rules about who's in and who's out and what sort of cliques are acceptable, whether it's, you know, the cliques with all the, you know, the athletes and the, the jocks or the cool girls or the pretty girls or the whatever or the, you know, oh, the high school cliques. We're all well familiar and as you get older, there's different groups, whether they are in your professional affiliations or, I don't know, human beings are very good at de- deciding who is, who's a part of our group and who isn't. Now, religious cliques are a whole other thing, and, and religious groups tend to, to bind themselves by certain practices and customs that, that hold the community together. And within Judaism, of course, there were certain, certain rules and customs that defined and helped distinguish the community from the community of those others around them. And certainly part of it was, as all of you are familiar, food laws around what is kosher to eat, uh, you know, uh, shellfish, not kosher, pork, not kosher, uh, you know, other things that are, that are just fine to eat, and some of it was just based on, on health customs, that some people die when they eat shellfish, so really let's not eat shellfish. Um, there were also, of course, laws around circumcision, there were laws around, well, lots of things that helped define and help sort of set apart the Hebrew community from, from its neighboring religious communities. And of course, this became a really big issue in early Christianity. This, this gospel, the, the, um, the epistle reading from Acts today is a really strange one. Did, have you all, are you familiar with this story? Anybody? Yeah, it's a really weird one if you were paying attention to it. And it's not only really weird, it happens twice. It happens in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. So if you want to read it twice, you can read it twice. Because it seems to be really important to the early Christian community trying to figure out who they were and who was going to be in and who was going to be out. In this time, of course, the separation between Jews, those that were of, of the Jewish faith and customs and religious practices, uh, and Gentiles, anybody else. And so here they were. This is Acts chapter 10 and 11. Early, early, early days of the Christian movement. And those early apostles were trying to figure out what this movement was about. And for the most part, they understood themselves to be a, a sort of a movement within Judaism that believed Jesus to be the Messiah. And so they were, they were gathered together. And then Peter, Peter, gets a vision it says he is, in, he is praying and he has this trance-like vision and he has it a few times because he doesn't quite catch on to what the vision is about of this sheet lowering down from the heavens and on the sheet there being four animals uh, and 
Um, I, I almost thought about bringing a sheet with like four stuffed animals just so that we can imagine it, but you can imagine it. So we have our, our sheet with our four animals, and Jesus, or Jesus, Peter is told to eat these, and presumably these are animals that are unclean, and he says, no way, not me, I will never put something unclean in my mouth, not going to happen. And he doesn't understand this vision, but again, it happened several times. And then the next day, he, is in, he encounters these Gentiles, and he is invited to go to the house, and there are several of them. And it turns out that the Holy Spirit descends upon these Gentiles, and to greet Peter's great shock, the Holy Spirit falls on them just as it had fallen on him and the other 11 disciples, and upon the whole crowd gathered at Pentecost. Turns out that the Holy Spirit falls not just on Jews, but on Gentiles. And Peter is shocked, and suddenly this vision makes sense. And he says, if God can give them the same gift that he gave us before we believed in Jesus Christ, who am I to hinder God? Who am I to hinder God? Who am I to say that these little animals are unclean? Who am I to say that these people are beyond God's love and redemption? Who am I to try to define who the Holy Spirit can descend upon and who it can't? And so, this is so, so important to the early church because what it did is it moved the church from being a movement within Judaism primarily to being a movement that goes into the Gentile world. And in subsequent chapters here of Acts, we will have uh, Paul being sent as the missionary to the Gentile world, that the church becomes defined not by those who are in the church, but by those who are outside of the church. To be the church literally means to be a sent people. I love that I can, from where I stand, I always see out. So I'm always pointing out. I wish that were your view. Well, here you'd have an ocean view. But if you turn around, that's where we're sent. (laughs) We're sent out into that world, to a world of, we don't use the terms Jews and Gentiles anymore, but to those who don't yet know Christ. Many of you know that I was... uh, my, my previous appointment before being sent here was to do a, a year of strategic work, really, with the congregation at, at First United Methodist Church of uh, Costa Mesa that had a, just a beautiful sanctuary surrounded by buildings, um, but they had in their church only 17 parking spaces, and they sat at the busiest intersection in Orange County, right where the, the 55 freeway hits on uh, 17th Street in Costa Anyway, right there. So lots and lots of stuff, traffic, 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 lots of people, but no way for any of those lots of people to get to the church because they had 17 parking spaces. Little known fact, if you have parking spaces, they say you can have like 1.45 people per car. So that means that that church was maxed out in worship at something like 35 people. And indeed, they had... They had successfully grown or shrunk their church down to meet the needs of those 30 people 
who were there if they all came on a given Sunday. And yet they had this incredible opportunity before them. They had a, a thriving community with lots of young young adults and uh, kind of a hit place to be in Orange County, and yet the church had successfully shrunk itself down to meet its own needs. And I was sent to help them figure out how they were going to get out of this mess, (laughs) how they were going to get beyond that. And and I only had one step of it. I was to look at the physical plant, and then a a church planter came in, a person to, to plant the congregation there to to grow the church. But what was so striking to me about that church is that they had really defined themselves by who was inside the church. And as long as they could pay their bills, they were kind of happy with that. And so this church sponsored, not sponsored, they had on their campus 35 12-step groups a week. And each of those 12-step groups gave something financially to the church, and this was how the church paid its bills. Not out of mission and ministry, but just basically that kept the lights on in the church and paid the staff, and, uh, and that, was their, that was their reason for existence. They had lost their heart for who was outside of the church, They weren't thinking about the rest of the world. They were just keeping themselves comfortable. I'm happy to say that that church has taken off in the last few years. They made some really critical decisions. They, well, we tore down some buildings to make room for parking. And there is now a really thriving young and new congregation that's happened, that has been born at Costa Mesa first, and it's really exciting. Yesterday they had a big event, I just happened to see it on social media, that was just called We, we Heart Costa Mesa, and all they did, the church did, was go out and volunteer in the community, just find ways to be of service and to share love with the community. Their story comes to mind, and I, I, I get such joy watching that because it was a hard year to, to do some hard work with them. Um, but what happened is the church turned itself inside out. The church decided that their heart, their mission, their love was for those who weren't here yet. This is the worship part. This, this was, was to enable and inspire and equip us to go out and, and do the real work that we're called to to bring those who haven't yet experienced God's love into the community. This reading from Acts is, is another one of those texts where the church, the early church, was sort of caught up short by not yet getting that God's love was, was out there, was, was to those who weren't here yet. And... and and Peter had to learn that. Peter, Peter was shocked. It took that vision four times to come to him and then to see people who, wait a minute, these aren't the ones that I was sent to. Oh, wait a minute, the Holy Spirit is working in them too. Hmm, wait a minute, maybe God is over there too. And I think that's the work of the church is always to say, where is God leading us? The, the actors in this text, again, just like last week when we read about Saul's conversion, the, the, the actors, the ones that are causing things to happen in this text is not 
It's not Peter, it's not Saul, it's not any of these men. It is the Holy Spirit. It is God at work. And the church just follows. If God is over here, that's where we got to go. If God's out there, that's where we're going to go. And that's what happens with, with Saul. It's what happens with Peter. It's what happens with the early church, that they had, to, they had to push beyond what they thought Jesus had come to do. They thought Jesus had come just for, for this community, but rather Jesus came and sent them out to the Gentiles and indeed to the rest of the world. And so it is today we are called into this place of thinking about where will God lead us next? The gospel text for today is, is part of Jesus' farewell address to his disciples that reminds them that I came to bring love, and you came, that your, your mission is also to bring love, that indeed this whole gospel is wrapped up in love and sharing love. And so today I want us to be thinking always about which way is God leading us? Which way will God direct us next? Where will God send us out into the world. Gosh, I wish this were a whole uh, glass structure (laughs) so that you could look out and know that these are the people that God has sent us to, the folks that aren't yet here yet, and the folks that are here, that God is calling us out into the community, out into the world, to turn the church inside out so that our heart becomes on fire for those for whom God will also bless with the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you are a God that sent your Holy Spirit to Jews and to Gentiles, to people like us, to people who gather in sanctuaries and for people who are gathered in farmer's markets and other places this morning. God, we thank you that your Holy Spirit falls on all people alike. And so we ask, God, that you send us to wherever we are needed, that you use the gifts that you have placed upon us to bring light and love and joy to your world. Help us, God, to to see your vision and to share your vision to go where you send us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.